Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year to you. We have all made it to 2021, and I know that we're grateful for that. 2020 was a year like no other, right? And I know it's been a tough season for many of us. And we all have different coping mechanisms, don't we? We've all had different ways to cope with the challenges of the past year. Uh, one of those ways to cope was to tell jokes, to share memes, and some of those were pretty good. You, you, you might have heard these, but I'll give you just a few examples. The first one is about New Year's resolutions. It said, 2020 resolution, stay away from negative people. 2021 resolution, stay away from positive people. The next one is from a few months ago. It said, I never imagined that I would go up to a bank teller with a mask on and ask for money. One more. Somebody said, at this point, if a clown invited me into the woods, I'd just go. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, um, I, I know quite a few people who've had a very difficult time over the past year, and it's been no joke. Um, but I do believe that things will get better from here. That's what we're all praying for. And this morning, I want to think about the year ahead of us, because right now, we have a unique opportunity that's really like nothing else we've ever seen. This year, this moment, is the chance to hit a big reset button. Back in the summer, I said that COVID grabbed our world and just shook it up like an Etch-a-Sketch. You remember an Etch-a-Sketch, right? Uh, Last summer, I had no idea this shakeup would drag on into the new year, but here we are. And an Etch-a-Sketch, you know, when you do shake it up, what happens? The, the image that was there disappears, and you have the chance to draw a new picture. And I think that's where we are right now. Uh, for example, when it comes to church, what's it going to look like moving forward? The past is gone. So where is God calling us to go? Who is God calling us to be? And it doesn't just apply to church. It applies to each one of us as individuals, doesn't it? You have a decision to make. From here on out, what picture are you drawing with your life? Who do you want to be? More importantly, who does God want you to be? I believe 2021 could be a major turning point for all of us. This could be a year of transformation. This could be a, a time when God gets a hold of our lives like never before, and we live for him like never before. This could be a time when our church overflows with God's love, and we lead people to Jesus like never before. Or we could just sit back and hope that things will get back to normal. We could go through our days without thinking too much about how God may want us to live differently than we did before. This is the choice in front of us. And like I said, this moment is a unique opportunity, and we don't want to waste it. So with that in mind, I decided to go back to a sermon I preached here over seven years ago. And this sermon doesn't originate with me. I've heard it several times over the years, and each time it's had a powerful effect on me. So I wanted to share it with you. The main idea originally comes from a man named Bruce Wilkinson. Bruce wrote a book called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. 
And in that book, he tells you to think about your life in terms of three chairs. That's why these chairs are up here on stage with me. And each one of them represents a spiritual condition where you might find yourself. And as I explain these chairs, I I think it won't take long for you to identify where you are sitting this morning. And this is really important because you need to be clear about where you are, where you need to be, and how to get where you need to be. So uh, I want you to hear me on this. Uh, This may not be the most comfortable sermon in the world, But this is the kind of self-evaluation we need to do on a regular basis, and especially at a time like this. And I want you to know, this is not just about you. This is about me, too. I need to hear this sermon just as much as ever. So I'm going to give you just a quick description of these three chairs. And you may have noticed in your note sheet that you have three columns, one for each chair. And I highly recommend that you take some notes. So let's go ahead and get started. I'll I'll start with chair number one. If I had to use one word to describe this chair, I'd use the word commitment. Commitment. If you're sitting right here, you have committed your life to God. You are putting him first. You're putting his desires above your desires. You are a fully devoted follower of Christ. And yes, that means some self-denial. That means making some sacrifices. But if if you're a chair one person, you're okay with that because you know that God deserves having the first place in your life. And and when you put him first, that's a way to to say thank you, to give him the credit that he deserves. Now, let's move on to chair number two. The word that describes this chair is compromise. Compromise. But if you're sitting here, there, there was a point when you made a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was at some camp or a conference or just any time when God really got a hold of your heart. But then life goes on, right? And you got to a point where following Jesus feels a little inconvenient, especially when his plans come into conflict with your plans. So here's what happens For a person in chair two, you do put God first sometimes, but then you also put yourself first pretty frequently. And then finally, you have chair three. Uh, With chair three, the word you would use is complacency. Uh, As of right now, you you don't feel any burning desire to pursue God. Uh, You're just living your life. And it feels like things are going okay without God or church or any of that stuff. And you might be sitting in this chair because of your beliefs. Maybe you're an atheist, or maybe not. Uh, Maybe you did try to figure out who God is. You, You searched for answers, but those answers were hard to find. So because life is busy, because life is full, you're just doing the best you can. You're trying to live a good life. You're trying to find happiness. And you know who you're living for in chair three? It's pretty simple. You're living for self. You do want to be a good person, but you're the one driving the train. So that's a quick snapshot of these chairs, but we need to get some biblical context here. Because way before these chairs ever showed up in a book or a sermon, each one of these places was described in the Bible. So let's go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. 
And in this part of Israel's history, a dramatic transition takes place. First, the nation of Israel is in this chair, chair number one, most of them anyway. But then by the end of this transition, the majority of them are here in chair three. So how does that happen? Well, let's look into Joshua chapter 24. In this passage, God's people have finally entered the promised land after years of slavery and years of wandering. And you may remember that Moses was the one who led God's people out of Egypt, but Joshua was the one who led them into the promised land. And right here, Joshua gathers the nation of Israel together, and he gives them a challenge. So let's listen to what he says here, Joshua 24, verse 14. He looks over the crowd, and he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So Joshua says, guys, you know where you need to be sitting. You need to be right here in chair one from today through the rest of your life. Now, Joshua has already made his decision. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So you can see where Joshua is, right? No question about it. He's in chair one. He says, I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what my friends do or my neighbors or even my enemies I'm right here. I'm not moving. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But God, Joshua knew, though, that God's people would face a threat. Because they, they would be living in this land where their neighbors had no intention of pursuing the true God. And this is why Joshua challenges them. He says, keep your heads clear. Don't move from here to chair number two or chair number three. So let's see what happens. You can flip over a page or two to the book of Judges. And we'll read Judges chapter two, starting with verse six. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So for a time, the nation of Israel was in this place of commitment. They said, yes, Joshua, we hear you and we agree. We want to follow God. And that decision makes lots of sense because this group, this generation that Joshua was talking to, they had seen things. They had heard things. Their parents talked about the miracles that God performed back in Egypt. They heard about the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. But it wasn't just stories they heard. They also saw things with their own eyes, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about the Battle of Jericho. This group saw that. They saw that when the army of Israel marched around that city, blew their trumpets, and shouted, the walls came tumbling down. The victory was theirs. And they knew that wasn't by their power. That was the power of God. So it made all kinds of sense that this group would say, yes, 
we know the true God, and we want to serve Him. If anyone had reason to be consistent with their commitment, it was them. But let's read on. In verse 8, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Joshua was clearly in chair one, but now he's gone. And look at verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals, the false gods. Okay, so what just happened? In in three generations, the people of Israel completely abandoned their faith. How was that possible? Joshua was a chair one person. He followed God and served him first. But where does Israel end up? They end up over here in chair number three. Well, how did it happen? Well, best we can tell, that generation that served God for a little while, somehow they must have slid into chair two. We don't see that they worshiped idols or anything like that, but it seems like they did not tell their they did not tell their children stories about God, the stories that they had heard. They never talked about him with their kids. Somehow they weren't consistent in living out that commitment. And so it makes sense that this younger generation, they didn't live it out. They just followed what the neighbors did. They did what the cool kids did. They served false gods, man-made gods, useless gods, instead of the true God who made the universe. That's another way to think about these chairs. Chair one knows the Lord. Chair two knows about the Lord. And knowing God is not the same thing as knowing about God. And then finally, chair three doesn't know the Lord at all. And it happened so quickly. The people of God became the people of Baal in three generations. One group slid into chair two, and the next group slid into chair three. And you know, this isn't just about the past. This cycle has played out over and over again through the centuries. And it's happening right now in our time. Remember what I said earlier. Over the past year, our world has been shaken up. And we've seen some dramatic changes as a result of that. I saw a statistic this week that's pretty startling, especially for church leaders. Uh, Barna did a large survey of people in the U.S. who called themselves regular church attenders. They attended church regularly before COVID. But based on this survey, since the pandemic, one out of five church attenders just stopped attending any form of church. They didn't come back to worship in person. They also didn't participate online at all. They just dropped out completely. Now, there's a lot we could talk about here. It is true that churches haven't done everything right over the past year. And it is true that there are some cases where it's appropriate to leave a particular church. If a church starts to compromise on the truth of the Bible, then yeah, that's a good reason to leave. If a church doesn't care about reaching lost people who need Jesus, that's a good reason to leave. But listen, 
even if you do have a legitimate reason to leave a specific church, a chair one person will not drop out of church completely. You will find some way to connect with a body of believers. So this is what I think we're seeing in our time. We're seeing that chair two is not viable as a long-term plan. You won't stay here forever. And when your world gets shaken up, you have a decision to make. Will you make a commitment to serve God above everything else, or will you jump over to chair three? So how's everybody doing right now? Are we hanging in there? (laughs) This is one of those fun sermons. But that's okay, because like I said, this is a critical moment, and we don't want to let this moment pass us by. So let's do some honest self-evaluation today. Where are you sitting? I'm going to go through some categories that will help you identify where you are this morning. It'll help you identify where you need to be and how to get where you need to be. So let's start with a question that is foundational. Who is Jesus to you? A chair one person thinks of Jesus in terms of a relationship. A relationship. It's it's the difference between knowing the Lord and just knowing about the Lord. In a relationship, you spend lots of time together. You have lots of conversations, both speaking and listening. Uh, In chair one, Christ is a constant companion in your everyday life. Now, a chair two person is a little different. In chair two, you think of Christianity kind of like a religion. It's a ritual. It's something that you have to endure. And there are certain blessings that you want from God, like forgiveness and eternal life. And you hope to do just enough to get those blessings with as little hassle as possible. In chair two, spirituality is a list of do's and don'ts. You clock in on Sunday morning. You check off the boxes. You try to keep God happy. But there's a duplicity here. Remember, this person does put God first some of the time. But pretty often, this person puts self first. It's a compartmentalized kind of life. And even though chair two is trying to have it both ways, this is probably the least comfortable place to sit because it's exhausting trying to maintain two different agendas. Following Jesus can't be a side interest or a hobby. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I believe is very true. He said, Christianity, if false is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now, chair three doesn't have that struggle because if you sit here, you're someone who looks at Jesus and chooses rejection. This person says, well, I'm not going to sit over there because I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. And I'm also not going to sit here. I'm not going to play some ridiculous game where I pretend to be something I'm not. I'm just going to be who I am. And by the way, wherever you are this morning, I want you to know something. Whichever chair you, you happen to be sitting in, I promise I'm not here to slam you. Now, I do want to be clear. My prayer, my heart's desire is that you would sit here in chair one. That's also my heart's desire for myself 
I want to be like Joshua. I want to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And because I'm a preacher, you might assume that my backside has been stapled to this chair. But that's not the case. Um, I have spent more time in chair two than I'd like to admit. It's so easy to slide over here. But we're not going to end up in chair one by accident. We're not going to stay in chair one by accident. It's a commitment that you have to make on a daily basis. Now, I was baptized into Christ a long time ago, and I don't need to do that over and over again, but I do need to surrender to Christ every day, denying myself, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and take up their cross daily and follow me. What Jesus describes here is the best kind of life you can live, but I wouldn't necessarily call it comfortable. And that's why sitting in chair two is so common, because we like our comfort, don't we? But just because it's common, that doesn't mean we should be okay with it. If you know you're in chair two, I hope that you're feeling convicted to switch. But I also need to say a word to the chair three folks. And again, I'm not trying to be down on you. Actually, uh, there's something authentic about being a chair three person, because at least you're being honest with yourself. There's no duplicity here. And you could make an argument that this is the most comfortable chair, because you don't have the inconsistency of chair two. You also don't have the self-denial that's associated with chair one. But there's a problem over here, too. You may be complacent. But does it ever bother you that you don't have answers to the biggest questions in life? Like, who am I, really? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And what's going to happen to me after I die? You can make up some answers to those questions, but there's no certainty in that. There's no peace in that. And many of us have discovered that you find those answers by looking beyond yourself. And a chair one person finds those answers in the Bible. That's actually another category that defines the three chairs. A chair one person submits to the Bible. This person really believes that the Bible is God's word, so it makes sense to do what it says. But it's not the same in chair two. A second chair person respects the Bible. You may read it now and then. You may follow it to some extent until the Bible says something you don't like. At that point, you might say, hmm, I don't think that verse applies to us anymore. Now, for a chair three person, the Bible's just another book. You may own one, maybe a, an old King James that sits on the shelf or it's in a closet somewhere. But for you, the Bible seems outdated it's a little narrow by your way of thinking. Definitely not something to live by. But how you see the Bible will set your perspective for so many things in life, like church, for example. A chair one person sees church as a community. It's, it's a priority to be connected to this body because you, it, it's the body of Christ. You are a, a vital part. You know, I grew up in a chair one home. And there was never any doubt that my parents 
were committed. They, they were committed to this community. And they also made that commitment for me, even when it wasn't my choice. Growing up in Florida, I was a Miami Dolphins fan. And I always hated it when the Dolphins played on Sunday at 4 o'clock. You know why? Because we had Sunday night church. Some of you remember the Sunday night worship service. So uh, when the fourth quarter started, that's when my parents would drag me to church, and I wouldn't get to see the end of the football game. But that communicated something to me. This was a high value for my parents. They were going to be a part of this community. It wasn't just a club. But for someone in chair two, that's exactly what it is. It's a club. When you got the time, sure, why not? But if something else comes up, if you have to be gone for a few weeks, or in the case of COVID, a few months, it's no big deal. So that's chair two. For chair three, church is a custom, if anything. Uh, you might show up for Christmas or Easter just to make grandma happy. But a relationship with God was never meant to be a part-time thing. It's supposed to be your life. And do you know where that really shows up? It shows up in your home, in your family. I have a challenge for you. If you're not quite sure where you're sitting today, ask your family. They can tell you. If you're married, ask your spouse. And marriage is another category that looks different depending on what chair you're sitting in. A chair, one person looks at marriage as a covenant. A covenant is an agreement before God. It's something that really does mean, till death do us part. For a chair, two person, though, marriage is more like a contract. And you know, a contract lays out lots of terms and conditions, and those things are there for your benefit. And if the terms and conditions aren't met, then by all means, get out. That's a contract. Now, for a chair three person, you might think of marriage as it's a convenience. If it makes my parents happy, if it makes us look more respectable, then sure, we'll jump through that hoop. At the end of the day, though, marriage really isn't that important to you. But I can tell you from experience, a covenant marriage brings all kinds of blessings for the husband, for the wife, for the kids, too. And while I'm on the subject of kids, that's another important category. Your chair will also determine your approach to parenting. If you sit in chair one, your goal is to raise godly kids. You are serving the Lord, and that's what you want to see in your children as they grow. You're praying in that direction. You're leading them in that direction by your word and by your example. Now, in chair two, your goal is really to raise good kids. You want to be proud of them. You want, to, you want them to stay out of trouble, stay out of jail. You want them to be good citizens. Over here in chair three, your goal is to raise successful kids. You, you, you want to tell some great stories to your friends, like, hey, did you hear what my Billy did? He made Allstate again. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to raise good kids or successful kids. But that's different than having that goal of raising godly kids, kids who follow Jesus with their whole heart. And really, with this whole idea of the three chairs, this category of parenting is what hits me the hardest. Remember Bruce Wilkinson, the one that wrote the book about this? He went around the country sharing these ideas, 
and hearing stories from different people. And based on his research, here's what he discovered. When a parent is here in chair one, you know what kind of, ten, you know, you know what kind of kids they tend to raise? Chair one kids. Now, that's not always the case because each child has to make their own decision when they grow up, but that is the tendency. And then here in chair three, what does a parent in this seat, you know, what do you see in their children? Well, a chair three parent tends to raise chair three kids. Not always, but usually. But then chair two is interesting. Normally, Chair two parents don't raise chair two kids. They tend to raise what? Chair three kids. And that makes sense. Because are you inspired by someone who says one thing but then does another? No. So these kids say, why do I need that? Why do I need to play that game? I'm just going to be who I am. Truth is, Nobody is impressed by chair two living. In fact, a lot of people are completely turned off of Christianity because they've seen a chair two person in action. But you know what? Jesus is also not impressed with a chair two kind of life. In the book of Revelation, he addresses a church that was full of chair two people. And here's what he said. He said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And where it says spit you out of my mouth, the original word there means to spew or to vomit. So Jesus says, this halfway approach to following me, it makes me want to vomit. He wants us to be committed fully devoted. And if you're not going to sit over here, he would actually prefer that you sit here because at least you're being honest here and God can work with you when you're honest. So I hope you know by now where you're sitting today. And we have to end with this question. What's my next step? And obviously that, that depends on where you are, right? And the bottom line is God wants you to sit in this chair because he loves you. And he knows this is what's best for you. And if you are already in chair one and you are consistently putting God first, not perfectly, but consistently, then today is a time to reaffirm. It's an opportunity to pick up your cross once again. Surrender to Christ once again. And by the way, next week we'll be starting a series that will really describe what it's like to live in this chair, both individually and as a church. And if you are here, there is a caution that we see in Scripture. Beware of pride. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, if you're in chair 2, you have a different response. Your next step is to repent. You can say, God, I don't want to sit here. I don't want my family or my friends, or my children to see me sitting here. I want to change. I want to serve you first. Now, when you repent, that means turning away from everything in your life that is not pleasing to God, giving yourself completely to Him. And I have to tell you, there is an urgency to this challenge because you can't serve two masters forever. 
eventually you have to make a choice. Who is the Lord of your life? Is it God or is it you? If you're in chair three, I invite you to receive today. You could receive Christ. And yes, over here, there is self-denial. But like I said, God wants you here because he loves you. He knows this is what's best for you. This is the kind of life that is truly life. This is where you find meaning, purpose, fulfillment. This is where you find joy and forgiveness and eternal life. You know what? I'm also going to tell you this. If you're here today, don't just take one step and move to chair two. Just kick this thing out of the way. Move straight to chair one. So as we move into the new year, where will you sit? I'm challenged by this. because We're all at a crossroads. We all have the opportunity to become who God wants us to be. So let's not let this moment go by. Let's give it to God. Let's pray. Father, I know that you love us. I know that uh, a lot of us right now, we've just been struggling with different things, and we need your comfort. But we also need to be reminded of what it means to live a life committed to you. Yeah, I truly believe that's where we find joy. That's where we find the blessings that won't come from anywhere else, from any other kind of life. So, Lord, I pray that you will get a hold of our hearts. We will allow you to do that and that we will follow you for the rest of our days. Lord, we need you every hour of every day. Never let us forget that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.